the title of my talk this morning is this. Life and death. How did we end up here? Life and death. How did we end up here? I don't know. I, I've got a question for you. Have you ever thought to yourself, how on earth did I end up in the situation that I've ended up in? Have you ever started a day thinking, I've got high hopes for today. It's going to be a great day. Let's say you want to go to the beach or something with the kids. And you think, great, that'd be really nice. And um, you set out well. And then after about half an hour's travel, one of the children vomits violently in the back of the car. And you think, oh, no, there is nothing worse than the smell of vomit uh, in a car, is there, to be honest. And um, so you muck, you muck all that out. And you think, OK, that's all right. And then you go along a bit further, and then the car breaks down. You think, right, OK, this, this is not great. And then you, eventually you get to the beach, the AA come, and they get you there. And, um, and, uh, uh, and then it starts to rain. And you think, right, this, I had such high hopes. How did we get where we've got to? Or maybe, maybe it's a little bit like a movie. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched a movie like this. You, you thought, on the telly, you think, there's a movie I'd like to watch. And you sit down. And you think, oh, great, okay. And you, you, the, the movie starts, and it's really lovely at the beginning. And it's a couple, and they're really happy together, and they're in love, and it's wonderful. And they're all having a meal on the beach, and it's everyone, everyone's happy and friendly and wonderful. You think, oh, this is great. And then the phone rings. And you think, oh, okay. So you go and answer the phone, and you maybe spend 20, 25 minutes on the phone. And then uh, you think, oh, that film, yeah, I'll go back to the film. And you sit and you start watching the film again. And suddenly, this couple who were so happy are firing machine guns at each other. And, and there's death and mayhem and the CIA are involved somehow. And you think, well, how did we get from this lovely, happy start to, to this? How did we, what happened in, the, uh, in, in a way, the Bible, if, particularly if you're new to the Bible, the Bible can be a bit like that. I'm thinking particularly about the things that Jesus said about eternal life. Eternal life. If you're new to the Bible, um, uh, it could cause some confusion. If you remember earlier this year, we actually looked at the subject of uh, eternal life. And we looked at some of these scriptures. So just read these again with you. Famous scriptures. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then a couple of chapters later, Jesus says this, truly, truly. So in other words, he's saying this is really, really hear this. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus is really clear. The word is really clear about God's offer of eternal life. However, these scriptures are also telling us something about humanity, aren't they? It's saying that humanity's natural default setting is death. It's saying that humanity is heading towards the precipice. It's going to perish. And... Uh, it says that we are born, you know, the scriptures tell us we are born naturally into this. We come, when we are born as humans, into the kingdom of darkness. That's where we are born. And, uh, you know, we're on the wrong side, guys, when we're born. We're on the wrong side of the tracks. 
That's where we, we, we appear. It, these scriptures tell us we're heading for judgment. And that the whole world needs saving. Uh, that's what it's saying. You know, the Bible makes it clear. Humanity's in trouble. Deep trouble. And it urgently needs rescuing. Actually, we've been looking at um, 1 Corinthians 15. And we also see there, it says this. For as in Adam, all die. And by Adam, it means natural human beings when they're born. But also in Christ, all shall be made alive. We pick up this thing, you know, no, humanity is dead, but in Christ you can be made alive. So it seems when we are born, we are born the living dead. We are born as the living dead. And we are desperately in need of life. Well, that's bleak, isn't it? I mean, by anybody's standards, that's not, that's not a good day to discover this stuff. However, I think understandably, some people could ask, well, hold your horses just a minute. Why do we need life in the first place? Where, what, how come we died? Where, where did that happen? Was that the 25 minutes when I was out the room on the phone? I mean, surely it all started well, didn't it? All happy and lovely. So how come we're in the machine gun shooting at each other phase? Where did, where did that come from? See, if God made everything, they argue, if God made everything, it's all going to be good, isn't it? Would God do anything else? He wouldn't make stuff that's flawed and broken. So surely, if God made it, it would have life written all over it, not death. So how come we have ended up here? How did we get here? I felt that yesterday, actually. <laughs> we had a funny old day yesterday. This won't be too much of a digression, but we started well yesterday. We went to celebrate somebody's 30th wedding anniversary, and that was very nice. We had a lovely barbecue to come back outside to go home to find our car had been rammed. And uh, one wheel was like that, and the other wheel was like that. And uh, I thought, okay, but actually the people were there, they'd stayed, they'd given us, they'd, oh, they were very decent about it, we shook hands. I said, okay, you know, these things happen. And funny, we were talking, we, we, we don't have AA cover, so I joined the AA very quickly, suddenly realized that was a good thing. <laughs> and they said, yeah, we'll be with you in an hour and a half, 10 past nine, fantastic. So 10 past nine got there, oh, no, sorry, we've been delayed, it's going to be half past 10 now before we get there. Okay. So we we're kind of huffing and puffing a bit, but that's all right. No, you know, God is good. <laughs> God is good. And uh, eventually the, the truck arrives, and this guy says, yes, he said, uh, I can get your car back, but now, by law, I have to have a 45-minute break. <laughs> so uh, can you just wait? And, I'm gonna, and he put his feet up and, and drank his water and had a little nap. In the, and I'm thinking, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. We, we're the, he then, after this 45-minute break, we go back into the van. He says, yes, okay, we do that. We're back on the M25, going from South End back into Kent. The tunnel is shut. <laughs> Lord, I thank you that you're good. Thank you that you're good. <laughs> so we have to go into London in order to come home. So we go home about 1 o'clock in the morning. So, but I was sitting on the van thinking, how did I get here? It started so well today. It started with I, but it kind of, <laughs> and actually, I think that's what people can ask with this offer of life. How did we get here when it started 
so well? And actually, those are great questions. And actually, in order to understand Christianity and the Christian message, we really do need, church, a good understanding of what happened in the beginning. Because actually, the, the New Testament only makes sense in the light of what happened in the Old. So we need to grasp that. So, there you go, in the beginning. So actually, we need to go back to Genesis, and we need to have a look at what happened. And uh, really, you need to read the first three chapters of Genesis. Now, we don't have time to do that, so I'm going to make reference to Genesis, but I would recommend that maybe today you go and read those first three chapters. And in chapter 1, we find God making the earth. And we see he makes everything. And there's a repeated phrase in chapter 1. Anybody know what that phrase is? It is good. It was good. So God made the light and the dark. He made the sun and the moon. He made the seas and the land. He made plants and vegetation. He made animals. And then lastly, he makes man. Man and woman. And then at the end of the chapter, God says, and it was very good. It's like our movie. We see the happy couple. Love it. It's all good. It's all wonderful right at the beginning of the movie. Nothing is wrong. And we see this incredible world that God has created for humanity, for Adam and Eve. And just, let's just have a quick look at this world that God has created for us. It's important for us to see it. This is a world where there is no death. We can't kind of imagine that, can we? But this is a world where there is no death. There is no shame. No one's ever embarrassed about anything. This is a world where there is no fear. Nobody's frightened of anything. You don't have to have a lock on your door. Not that they had doors, but you know what I mean. There's no guilt because there is no sin. Can you imagine a world where you never feel guilty? Where you never feel vulnerable? And what else do we see? We see this natural relationship between God and man. They had this natural ability to know God. There was no need to be converted. You hadn't got to persuade anyone. Well, can you not see? Can you not, can you not see that God exists? No, no. It was like breathing air. Humanity just had relationship with God. Intimate, close friendship, knowledge of God. Beautiful. Man and, and a God walked together in the cool of the garden. It was a lovely place. Actually, Adam also doesn't seem to have to graft for a living. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Yeah, before work did exist, but it was a blessing. It was a joy. After the fall, it becomes toil. He has to do it through the sweat of his brow. He has to fight with the land to get it to produce. Before, that didn't happen. There was a natural harmony, it seems. Mankind is also given a leading role in the garden. There is a sense, in other words, of purpose, of significance, of natural importance that has been bestowed. These things we cry out for, all those things had been bestowed on man. They were unchallenged. They were uncorrupted. Now, there does seem to have been the presence of evil in the garden, but it's not affected man, not initially. 
Man is free from the impact of evil. In fact, if anything, actually at this time, has authority over it. We even, I think, have a hint here that there is a limitation on the existence of pain. I think pain, certainly in one uh, way, becomes more prominent after the fall. Mankind was created and put into a wonderful environment. Hey, church, this tells us something about God's heart for you. He loves you and said, I love man and I'm going to give them a great environment. It's a reflection of him and how he feels about you. He loves you. He's for you. God wants a brilliant environment for you to flourish and grow. That was always his heart for humanity. Good, isn't it? Good. I'm glad you agree. Well, we also know this, that God gave Adam a very clear instruction. And it was this, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now remember, Eden was full of trees, loads of trees everywhere, laden with good fruit. There was one tree that they were instructed not to eat of. And of course, uh, we know the story, don't we? We know that mankind is tempted and they do eat. And that God had said, when you do of that... You will die. And of course we know they do that. And death at this point enters the world. In a world that where there was no death, now suddenly through sin, sin always gives, gives uh, rise to death. And death now crashes into the existence of humanity. I have to say to you, I love history. I love significant moments. We want to talk about significant moments. This is a huge significant moment in, the, uh, in, in human history. The world changed completely and utterly for us at that point. This is a massive, massive moment. So death comes. Now, the question I think we should ask is this. What does that mean? When God said to, to mankind, you will surely die, what did he mean? What did he mean by that? Well, of course, we know that Adam and Eve die physically at some years later. Uh, and, of course, all humans have died since. But I think we can see it isn't just physical. I think we can see a different kind of death that affects humanity as we look through scriptures. And I, I, I thought the first kind of death we see is this. Second one we see is this. We see a kind of emotional death. See, after they have sinned and death has come, Adam says this to God. He says, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Suddenly, Adam is experiencing emotions he had not experienced before the fall. This is new to him. He's experiencing fear and shame, vulnerability and probably guilt. He is feeling worried. He's insecure. 
Can you imagine a world where you never, ever feel emotionally insecure? Can you imagine the shock of when that suddenly comes in? <laughs> Whoa! The emotional death doesn't mean we don't feel emotions anymore. It just means that the total emotional security and health that we used to have has now gone. And we are now vulnerable to, to ha having emotions associated with sin and death. This dreadful stuff, sin and death, pervasive. Now we can be insecure. These things have entered the world. So there's a, a physical death, there's an emotional death, and importantly, there's also spiritual death. See, before the fall, as we've talked about, humanity seems to know and relate to God without any difficulty. There's nothing that got in the way of this lovely relationship with God. Mankind could walk in the garden. Um, nothing got in the way of man and God walking together. After the fall, we hear God come into the, into the garden and he asks a question. Does anybody know what the question is? Where are you? Yeah, he says to Adam, where are you? Now, God hasn't suddenly stopped being God. <clears throat> he does know where Adam is. And, you know, so it reminded me when I read this, it reminded me of the, the days when my little ones, when my kids were little ones, and we used to play hide and seek. And uh, so I'd give them 10, they'd run off somewhere, hide in the house, and, uh, and then I would come into the room. And it was obvious where they were straight away, because they were giggling behind the curtains. And you could see the curtains move, and of course I would then go, and I would go into the cupboard. Are they in the cupboard? No, they're not in the cupboard. Are they under the table? Are they behind? And, and even sometimes they would say, no, we're not. And you, <laughs> and you think, you think, you haven't got the idea of this game really, have you? But anyway. And, but you can see them, and then I'd say, are they behind the curtains? Yes, we are. It's not like that. God knew exactly where Adam was. Actually, I think this question, oh, it's been quite painful to read it. It's a cry from God's heart. It's a cry from God's heart. He's saying, Adam, where are you? What he's saying is we used to have intimate, close relationship. We were friends. I knew you. You knew me. Now that's gone. It's broken. That connection we had has gone. And I miss you. I think that's what it's saying. Adam, where are you? My friend, where have you gone? Why have you decided to do this? I think we see... Immediately, the loving heart of the father reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son when the father cries out and he's looking. Oh, it's painful, isn't it? We, he looks, doesn't he, for this lost son and he's saying, is my son going to return? Immediately here in Eden, we see the heart of the father saying, where are you? And I think this cry has carried on throughout history where God has looked at humanity and he said, where are you? I long for relationship with you. Close, intimate relationship. It's the heart of the father to have that. He's not content for his sons and daughters to be lost. And I think he's crying out at this point. See, what's happened now is that there is sin in the way. 
Now uh, mankind has opened the door to sin and death and suddenly there's this massive barrier between God and man. Massive barrier. And it's not just a question of, oh, can I see over the top of the barrier? Actually, the New Testament says this. We became enemies of God. It's not just a little problem. No, God is now over here and we are right over here. And actually, the truth is humanity begins to hate God. We read beginning of Romans. More and more, humanity becomes darkened in its thinking and its understanding. It moves further and further away from God. That's the natural now instinct of human. It's like, it's like in the beginning we were part of his family. But by sinning, mankind said, no, we're, we're, not, we're going to live our own way. We choose independence. We're not going to submit to you. We are not of your kingdom anymore. We want to be free. I have to say, I think what's happened here is the very opposite of what happens when somebody becomes a Christian. When somebody becomes a Christian, what happens? They ask, they come into the kingdom of light. Don't they? They say, they say God, suddenly they discover relationship with God. Oh God, you're here. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, we come. That's what happens when you become a Christian. What's just happened here is humanity has just stepped out of the light and into the dark. That relationship has been broken. Mankind is now eternally separated from the author of life. And actually, the truth is, we also, at this point, take on a new master. You see, the reality is there are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of dark, run by Satan, and there's the kingdom of light, by God. And actually, humanity saying, no, we're going to be independent. Actually, what they've done is they've put themselves under the master, the rulership of Satan. So when we're born now, humans are not born into right relationship, healthy relationship with God. So what does this mean? You shall surely die. It means that we died physically, emotionally, spiritually. We were dead. I mean dead. Properly dead. Totally dead. Huge, huge moment. Now, the other thing we've just got to grasp in all of this is this question. Why does Adam's decision affect me? Why does it affect you and me? Why does this blue man who's representing Adam affect the whole collective? Well, the Bible explains it like this. It says, Adam is a kind of representative for all humanity. So his decision affects all of us. Um, in Romans, it says this, one trespass, that's what Adam did, led to condemnation for all men. So what he did affected all of hum humanity for the rest of time. Human nature, it seems, at this point, is fundamentally changed. And it is corrupted at this point. There's a corruption that comes in. So now, when we're born, you and I don't naturally live sin-free, God-pleasing lives. No, now, humanity is, has a natural gravitation towards sin. Because our, our, the master that we had, Satan, is a sinner. Therefore, we follow our new master. 
That's what we do. That's what humanity does. Just want to show you these two. This is also what Romans says. By the one man's disobedience, again, this is referring to Adam, the many were made sinners. So actually, our actual character, our nature, is now sinful when we are born. That's what that's explaining. And then this next scripture, sin came into the world through one man, obviously Adam again, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. So not only do we have a sinful nature when we are born, a DNA inclination towards sinfulness, actually the truth is we all choose to sin as well. We all make that choice. And and fortunately, we also have to say, because our soul is eternal, humans, without, without Christ, are facing an eternal death. Because that's the choice that humans have made. We choose not to be with God. We choose to be uh, elsewhere. So there's the bad news, guys. That's the bad news. And it is, isn't it? It's really bleak. It's bleak. But God, but God doesn't leave us there. I think it was um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who used to love the phrase, but God. Because he only used to say, because these, when you come across a but God, it meant God has now inter- interrupted the natural flow of things. He is the one who's come to rescue. He's the one who's come to change things. And that's what he does in this situation. God saw our terrible condition. He saw our terrible condition, and he could have said, you know what, they're going to get what they deserve. Because they've all chosen to sin. They've all chosen to turn away from me. But he loves us, as we saw from that phrase, Adam, where are you? God was crying out for us and looking out for us, and already actually there's evidence, even in the Garden of Eden, that he's preparing a rescue plan for humanity. And he's planned to win us back. And that's why Jesus comes onto the scene with this offer of eternal life. Saying, I've got eternal life for you. This is why you need it, because you're dead. Now, the good news as well is, because you might feel it's still a bit unfair that Adam should be a representative for all of us. Does that feel a bit unfair in some ways? For one or two, okay. Well, actually, it's good news because of this. Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. And what that means is, just like Adam was a collective representative for everybody, Jesus is now a representative for everybody. So that when we repent and we say, Jesus, I am dead, make me alive, we can say, yes, because he is alive, we, he is a now our new representative. We come into the collective that he has created. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's really good. The second Adam has come. That's how he's referred to. And he undoes the damage. In fact, he doesn't just undo the damage. The Bible tells us that what Christ has presented is infinitely superior to what Adam. So it's not like, oh, God said, oh, there's a hole now. I've got a plug. I better send Jesus and he'll plug the hole. No. No, no. We come into something infinitely superior. 
infinitely superior. It's not just undoing the damage. See what I mean? Romans also says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, that's Christ dying on the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. Praise God. He didn't leave us. This father who said, where are you, came after us. And he was even willing to give his own son in order to win us back. We don't deserve that. But he gave it to us because of his love for us. He ran after us. He gave up everything for us to win us, to undo the mess of sin and death that has been so all-pervasive in our nation. So I hope that helps to fill in the 25 minutes, the missing minutes of the movie. How did we get from a great start to where we are. Well, that's how it happened. But it's not how the movie finishes. Because Jesus comes and he rescues this couple who are now shooting at each other. And he makes them friends of God again. The movie ends well. I like a good happy ending to a movie, don't you? Well, now we have a happy ending to the movie. So I hope that fills in some gaps for one or two of you. And, and also, you know, Christians, as, as believers, we've come into a very warm house. And we can now warm ourselves again by the fire. The fact is, those who are outside Christ are still outside where it is cold. And I just want to stir you again. I want to stir you again. Let's be a church that remembers people are dead. Let's remember the truth of this. In fact, I want to say to you, if you have never accepted Jesus' offer of eternal life, he offers it today just as much as he did when he arrived 2,000 years ago. We first saw him. I want to say to you, please accept God's offer of eternal life. He says, I've come to give you eternal life. It's for you. I've given my life for you so that you can now walk with God again in the cool of the garden. You can have that. It's restored to you. So if you have never done it, I tearfully want to say, please receive this gift of eternal life. Don't turn it away. Don't say, well, I'll do it tomorrow. No, no, God has life for you. He wants to end death pouring through your life. He wants to bring life and righteousness instead of sin and death. That's the deal. Which one do you want? Take it. Receive it. This gift of life is for you. I want to say that then. I also want to say, guys, if you know you have sinned recently as Christians, please just stop it. Just stop it. Because sin always produces death. It always produces disaster. It always produces mess and pain and insecurity and all the things we've just seen in the Garden of Eden. We've got to work at this. Now, sometimes you can be trapped in sin. I get that. I get that, and you've got to work your way through that. But I just want to say, get away from it. Do everything you can to get away from, from sin. Um, and I just wanted to also, just in terms of stirring us up, I hope, as a church, <clears throat> to remember this good news that we have. 
Let's remember the good news. Uh, house groups, do you remember at the beginning of the year, house group leaders, I challenged you to be evangelistic. Do you remember that? I said, uh, uh, try and find one uh, point during the year when you can do some outreach. Uh, maybe think about the events that we've got. We've got a quiz night coming up. You might, as a house group, say, yeah, actually, we're going to take a table at, at the quiz night, and we're going to bring, it's in September 23rd, September 23rd, um, why don't you bring a group of people? Why don't you pray about, yeah, I've got neighbors, I've got friends. You know what? That is the easiest evangelism you will ever do. All you've got to do is take a table and come to a quiz night and bring some friends. And actually, either Ian or I or somebody will stand up and talk about Alpha for five minutes in the middle of a whole evening. We'll try and present something of where the gospel can be found. Why don't you do that? So house groups, you've got the alpha meal, you've got the carol service, you've got a range of things. You could uh, pull one of those out. And lastly, church, I just want to say this. Look, God loves us. He loves us. So why don't we share the gospel because he loves us? Actually, the gospel is an expression of the love of God. He loves people and he loves those who are lost and that father yearns for them. And I would encourage you also to yearn in the way that he does. Let's become like him. Amen. Let's, um, let's, thank you. Why don't we pray together? Yeah, Father. I just want to say to you, Father, thank you again that you ran after us and you found us. Thank you that you didn't say, because they've messed up, I'm just going to leave them. Thank you that you run after a humanity that is messed up and that is, is just neck deep in sin and death. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you still cry out to humanity, where are you? I want relationship with you again. Father, I want to thank you that you sent your son. You paid a high price to have that relationship restored. We just want to tell you that we love you. We are so grateful to you. Oh, Father, Father, we just tell you again, we love you. And Father, I ask you please to provoke us and stir us. Help us to see that the world is full of life and death. Help us, Heavenly Father, to share the life that you have put within us. Help us, Father, to live in a way that gives you away. Lord, help us, I pray, as a church to be a group of people that are continually motivated by the love of God so that we share the gospel. Father, help us not to get fed up or bored of doing stuff, just, oh, we're doing this again. Lord, help us to see what it's about. Help us to see the kingdom of God in it. Help us to see life uh, that, that can come. So, Father, I pray, would you please pour out your spirit on us? Help us not to be driven by guilt or fear in any of this. But Lord, let it be about love. Let it be about love for you. And let it be about love for others. So Jesus, come. Would you come freshly on each one of us? Provoke us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.